I did the same thing in the NBA, same thing when I was overseas, when I went over there. I'll never forget, um, first practice here. Um, we called him in the huddle. Stu Jackson had said his little pitch, his little speech or whatever. And um, he said, all, all starting positions are mine. You have to earn the position, right? So we put my hand in to do one, two, three badges or whatever. And I told them, I said, hey, hey, I said, hey, hey. the five spot is mine. So good luck to the rest of y'all. And that was it. The Six Beers Podcast. That was fun. Uh, we just talked to Rashard Griffith. He is a former Badger basketball player uh, who played overseas in Europe for like, 10 years. Um, but he recently came back to the I feel w. like it was more than that. No, I'm keep, I think we should oh. keep this in, but I'm just saying I think it was more. Was it like... <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, it was 10 years. It was like 95, 75. I think it was 17. He won 17 championships. Oh, yeah. darn it. Well, now I look stupid. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but anyway, he came back to, 20, to UW in 2017 <laughs> to finish his degree. Um, and now he works for the Badger basketball team as like, kind of a mentor role. Um, and that. Uh, I mean, I definitely got a lot of good advice out of it. Um, mainly that you just have to go into everything with so much confidence and faith in yourself and that's kind of the ticket to success which seems quite obvious but I think a lot of people tend to doubt themselves so it was a nice little wake-up call for sure. I like that. Yeah. Alright, well. I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. The Six Beers Podcast presented by Nick Bauman and Ashlyn Galbraith. So far, so good, man. How about y'all? That's been pretty good. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. good. Not too busy, which is always nice. I'm Ashlyn, by the way. Funny story, too. I, um, I, well, Nick was talking to me about how you were going to be a guest on, and I recognize the name and, like, you <laughs> as a person. Um, we took Michael McGuire's class, Communicating with Key Audiences, together a few years back, actually. Which, oh, yeah. Kind That's of, my man. Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's a really good professor. Learned a lot. Yes, he is. <laughs> I know. I still I still keep in contact with him right now. Oh, I just really? talked to him a couple a couple weeks ago. We we before the pandemic, we met for coffee and everything. He's a good person to just to have in your in your back pocket in case you need something in the world because he has a he has a vast Rolodex. So if you need somebody like people that come to me to speak and stuff like that. I just gave um, him a friend of mine that's got through writing a book. I just gave gave uh, Michael Johnson and um, not Michael, Michael McGuire and uh, Cynthia Jasper the information to my partner so we can talk to the class with, um, he has that one, that uh, symposium class that he has. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. um, and speak, yeah, guest speakers come in. So I did that. So when people cross my path and stuff like that, I'm like, you'll be good to do this or whatever. So I'm always thinking how I can, you know, give back. He does have a really big network for sure. Um, we actually started up a little nonprofit project ourselves earlier this summer, and he was the first person I emailed 
I was like, who can you <laughs> connect us to to help us get this going? And he definitely came through. But yeah, I mean, your your major was nonprofit communications, right? Or yep, yep, nonprofit communication, nonprofit leadership, and um, nonprofit leadership. That's what it was. Yep. So Man, I'm, those... I'm forgetting. I was so happy. <laughs> so what were those? I'm curious. You took like a 22 year gap. Um, what was like? What was the fir- like the first days on campus like? Kind of just coming back. Um, when I first got back on campus, yeah, to go to school, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? It was the going to class. I had been back on campus. Uh-huh. Like when I left, I left in '95. Right. So when I left in '95, I didn't come back to 2005. Mm-hmm. So that was 10 years, and so now that I had just been playing ball. That's all I was doing because I didn't get when 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 you're a professional athlete, you don't get a lot of time to yourself. And by me being overseas, by me choosing to stay overseas, I literally only had two months at home every time I came home. I will leave in August, and I will literally come back at the end of June. So I had I had the rest of June, July, and half of August. That's how my two months were. And um, so it was hard for me to, like, want to get away and, you know, all these type of things or whatever. So Coach Howard Moore, mm-hmm. he was assistant coach at the time. And he called me and said, Griff, come back up here. They love you, yada, yada. So I came up here, and um, I played. After that, that started the ball back rolling for me coming back up here. So every summer, I made it a point to come back for at least a week mm-hmm. and, you know, play pickup with the boys, talk to bowl. And so the it was easy for me to come back. That wasn't a problem. But when I, the first day of class, I'm trying to think, I had this um, hip-hop class. So they was just like, me, I'm like this. I'm an athlete, former athlete. So I'm like, just give me, give me, what, just put it in front of me. Let me know what I got to do, and let me get through it. Right? They were like, no, 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 no. You need to take, <laughs> you to take your time with this. So I had two classes. I had a a hip hop class. Um, and what was the second class I had? It was some easy class. I had two easy classes to get me into the um to fulfill my requirements and stuff to get me into the to back into the swing of things. And um, I did okay. I had to get adjusted, you know, being on the computer. Because back in the day when I was in school, everything was in person. There was nothing um, on, a, on a laptop. So I had to get used to putting in discussions and doing all this stuff. All that stuff was done in the class. So it was just like, so once I got the first two classes, then the next thing I know, the second semester, because I was started in 2017. I started in the spring of 2017. And then after that, in the fall semester of 2018, I had five classes. So I got right into it. it's crazy yeah everything used to be in person and now with COVID everything's online (laughs) it's a complete 180 but oh my goodness I mean who you telling I mean uh my senior when did you graduate um you can already graduate we're seniors right now yeah so so y'all didn't go through so y'all been online so literally in the when COVID hit we were in the second part of uh we were in the um well, in the spring semester. And um, what happened was um, one class was online already, and I had Professor McGuire again. I had <laughs> Professor McGuire again. So it was easy for my internship. I had my internship, and then I had a couple other classes. I had, I had the music, and I had some other class. So my classes were easy, but the thing was that bothered me was the graduation part of it. Every day, I was sitting in front of my computer on graduation day, just looking at my name right there. Oh. That was that was the wheel part or whatever because yeah. couldn't do it was virtual. So you know, um, Chancellor came on, said what she was gonna say. The head of the college, 
um, or so he came on, said what she was going to say, and I seen my name, and that was that. So I was just like, oh, well, I graduated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, congrats, but it doesn't quite feel the same when it's online like that. So I did really feel for everyone last year, but I mean, who knows? We might not even get a commencement either. And I wouldn't I bet on it. But yeah. yeah, I wanted to ask, um, what, what brought you to kind of made you want to go to Madison in the first place? Because after taking that, you know, 20 some year gap playing um, overseas and then coming, you were so sad on coming back to Madison. So why Madison in the first place? Um, well, you know what? When I chose Madison when I was in high school, uh, as a junior, I committed, I, signed, I, I committed to Wisconsin as a junior in high school just to get it out the way. I got tired of all the recruiting, the phone calls, constantly being bothered. <laughs> and, um, and my mom was like, look, put, put it into this. So I did. And um, But Madison, unlike Chicago, Wisconsin, just in general, I won't say this in Madison, Wisconsin, just in general, they literally want to see you do well as a person. Um, doesn't matter your skin color, doesn't matter your background. If you come here and you're willing to work and put the work in, um, you can be successful. And see, the thing about it is this, what people don't understand is that, yes, I came here, I helped Wisconsin turn the basketball team around, football was turned around at the same time, but everybody just told me it's because of the person that I am. Um, I came here, I didn't burn any bridges, but Madison is one, well, I mean, you think about it. So many people come and move up here to start all over. Um, I was offered to come finish my degree, um, which I made a promise to Coach Alvarez and my mother um, when I was 17 years old. I was 17, 18 years old. I made a promise to come back and get my degree. So um, I came back to Coach. I said, I'm here to finish, fulfill my promise. And he just put me right where I needed to be in the class I needed to be. And I just put my head down and did what I did. But Madison, and I, Madison is home now. So it's not like I'm running back to Chicago or running away from somewhere. Madison is home. It's not like she, it's, it's it's so crazy that we two and a half, three hours away from Chicago or where from where I used to live at, where I grew up at, and the difference is like two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And um, in Chicago is very cutthroat, and you know everybody for themselves. Up here, everybody is about community, the love. Don't get me wrong; there's some disconnect in some areas. I understand that, but for the most part, the majority of the people that I'm around, it's all about trying to help out and give back, and that's who I am. So I believe God puts us where we can do the most good at. And me being in Chicago um, right now wasn't the best thing for me mm-hmm. to move forward and better myself. You know, I'd like to ask about your basketball days um, at Wisconsin a little bit. Okay. Um, so Stan Van Gundy, who's currently the uh, New Orleans Pelicans coach, mm-hmm. uh, he was assistant for a couple of years and a head coach at Wisconsin, I think, yep. in your second year there. And there, there are stories about him as a coach, but I'm curious about, about what it was like when you were there. I don't know what stories you heard, man, but um, <laughs> I had um, Storm, you can tell me, but even to this day, me and Coach, um, me and Coach BG are good. That, mm-hmm. He's like a father figure to me. Yeah. Coach VG. Looked out for me from um, – he was there for three years. So his third year, he was the head coach. So I had I had Stu for one year, my freshman year. Then I had Stan. Then if I would have stayed, it would have been Dick Bennett. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to have three coaches in three years. That would have been – you know, that's that's crazy. So um, Stan the man, man, great guy, great guy. 
um, great, great man, um, you know, supported me the whole time while I was in college, always, even up to this day, still, still texts me, hey, Griff, what's up, man? You good? Everything good? How the family doing? Checking on the Moore family and checking on me and Jarrell. Um, but he's a, he's a great guy. And um, I just think that in that situation, I mean, I think he got the short end of the stick. He didn't get a chance to. He didn't even get a chance to finish the season. You know yeah, when I, mean? I say stories, I'm, I'm talking like positive stuff. And yeah. Just yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, no. Coaches, coaches, man. Coach VG is totally, totally awesome. And I think that honestly, if he would have stayed, I would have stayed too. Mm-hmm. I'd have stayed at least another year. Yeah. What was that decision like? Um, deciding to kind of head overseas and pursue basketball there, and. On top of that, too, what was your favorite place to play? Because I know you kind of had some different experiences playing for different teams overseas. So what was your what was your favorite place to live? Oh, my goodness, man. All of them were wonderful. So I tell you, I start off by telling you what made the decision easy for me. Because actually, I'm writing my book right now, too. So, um, so I'm in the process of writing my book. Um, but the decision was easy for me because it never was about me. My, I love to play basketball, so I was doing what I love to do. And once I realized that I can do it and get paid for it, it was all about my family. It was all about me getting my, my family out of poverty by doing the thing that I love to do. So that was the easiest part for me. It was like um, I was real with myself. I, literally, I actually gave myself two years to, to do what I needed to do to improve, to get stronger, to go to the next level. Um, the choice to go overseas, I was 19. I could have I, I could have stayed with Milwaukee. They I got to put it like this. They drafted me in 95. I had a contract on my front doorstep for 15 years just for them to keep my rights. Mm-hmm. So before July 1st, I would wherever I was at, before I get ready to go back overseas, I had a I had a FedEx envelope laying against my my door and the numbers ranged from maybe 400,000 to 600,000 for me to come to stay in, in the United States. But um, I had made a choice. I got comfortable over there, um, over there playing. They treated me like a king. I mean, they got a statue of me over in front of one of the gyms in Turkey. So it's just like, so um, and I'm, 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 I'm a big God. God, I know everything that happened for me, happened for me and with me. It was God. God led me. I still have relationships over there right now. There's teams that want me to come over there right now and be like their special um, coach, trainer for the players and stuff like that. Or whatever. Once COVID is on, once we get this under under under, get a handle and get it situated, they want me to come over there and do that. So that's what happened with that. But my favorite place I played in Turkey, Israel, Spain, Italy, and Romania. I love all the countries, but I would say Italy is probably the best. Oh man, I've always wanted to go to Italy. I've never left the country, but that's my, that's like the top of my list. So, what was that? What was that adjustment like being nineteen, just going to Europe and playing basketball? Yeah, <laughs> my, and my pretty, probably pretty on your own too. That's like, yeah. and then you have to deal with the culture change. I, I wasn't on my own. My father, when mm-hmm. I first went over there, I took my mother, my father, my uncle, and my agent. So I was going to Turkey. Now, mind you, I'm nineteen years old. So. They put the movie uh, Midnight Express. I'll let y'all look that up. It's a movie called Midnight Express. And it's about Turkish. And it's about this guy that went to um, Turkish jail or whatever. You know, they cut your hand off. 
and all that type of stuff or whatever. So this is what this movie was about. So I'm watching this. I'm watching this movie with them, and they making fun and cracking jokes. So I said, if I go, y'all go. If y'all don't go, I'm not going. And I'd already signed my contract, and they was like, what? I'm like, you heard what I said. So Ken, Ken was my agent, said, you better fix it. So I'm like, if I, if I go, y'all go. So they all went with me, and okay. we stayed up. And what had wound up happening, my father, he was retired. Um, he wound up um, staying with me. So my father stayed with me, over there with me my first seven years, something like that. And he tried. He got a chance to travel with me. He got a chance to travel with me everywhere in the world. Everywhere I went, he traveled, stayed in the same hotels, all that stuff. So he got the um, to live that lifestyle. So I wasn't by myself. Um, mm -hmm. The culture, I learned early. What you do is you. Um, I learned the basic stuff. So I learned my directions. I had my address written down in my wallet. I learned about the foods that I love to eat, you know, what I needed, what I wanted to eat, and what to stay away from. Um, mm -hmm. I had them write this stuff down. I learned the words, how to pronounce it in um, Turkish or Italian or Spanish. And then I was good. I was good. Because you gotta, huh? I know I'm about to say, one of the things we have to realize is that most countries' second language is English. Mm. So you'll find somebody that wants to practice English with you and help you out. And most of the teams, mm -hmm. their manager, that they have a manager not a general manager, but a manager that helps the foreigners out, and he speaks perfect. Norman speaks perfect English. Mm -hmm. So, what was the um? Is how different was the basketball overseas? I mean, was your your coach was your coach American? Like, how's how's this all? No, no. Um, overseas is like this: take the college game and put it on steroids. <laughs> There's no NBA. You have a legal defense, right? You have a legal defense. You can't do all this stuff. Over there, you have some of these same players that you have like right right now. I was playing with guys. I was wondering, like, why is this guy my height? Not as big as I am, but why is he my height? And all he do is shoot threes. He don't come down and rebound. He don't do this. They don't play no defense. What is going on? That's the way they talk. So you look at how we play now. That's how I play it overseas. So you're saying – Overseas, they're ahead of the curve. They, oh, we have adapted the way they play overseas. Uh -huh. I told people before, before Ginobili became a star, I played with Ginobili in 2001. If you look on YouTube, uh -huh. and you pull up Kinder Bologna, you'll see me out there playing with um, Ronald Ginobili. Huh? Were you like a teammate with Ginobili? Yeah. Kinder, you can look at yeah. YouTube right now. Kinder <laughs> Bologna. K-I-N-D-E-R Bologna. And you will see me out there. We won which is like the NBA championship. We mm -hmm. won it in 2001 over there together. And um, and I was telling people about how good he was then. And people didn't realize, and then they didn't believe me, until he got to the States and he got to San Antonio after 2002 was our last year. So we won the European championship in 2001. We had just formed a team. We had eight new players. We lost our first European game was like the NBA League. The Euro League is the 24 champions from around Europe. So if you won your championship and maybe if you play in a strong conference, in a strong conference, whoever was in the, in, the, in, the, in the finals with you can get in there, but it's the 24 best teams in Europe. We lost our first game in there and won, or lost our second game in the Italian League and then we won 37 games in a row. Mm -hmm. And then we went on to win the European Championship, they call it the Grand Slam. 
a grand slam is you win every major championship in every major championship in the calendar year. So when I say it's like college, literally like the Big Ten tournament, the Big Ten tournament we're gonna have, you have that. That was the Italian Cup. You got the top eight, but it's not it's not all the teams. You got the top eight teams in the league, and you play for on the weekend, and then the winner win the championship. That's in the middle of the season. Um, then you have the um, the Italian playoffs. Um, you have like you win the Big Ten championship the regular season like that. You finish in first place. That means you're the regular season champion. Then you have the Italian Cup. Then you have the playoffs in your country. Then you have the European Championship, which is all the countries. So we won all of those championships in one year. Oh wow! So what, was, what was that like? Just yeah, you must like, have felt on top you know, of the like, world. I'm saying like the team camaraderie had to be kind of insane oh. at that point. Oh, it was cool. I mean, I was uh, probably celebrating. I, I, I was I was pretty much the elder statesman on on the team, and I wasn't but what 27, 28 okay. at the time, something like that. Um, Gino and Marco and all them guys were kind of younger, um, but I won seventeen championships. Hmm. So yeah, during my time, I won seventeen champs from ninety seven until two thousand and seven. I won a championship. Only only country I didn't win a championship in was in Spain. Everywhere else that I've been and played, I won a championship. Everything about it's a great run. Everything about getting back out there and <laughs> getting Spain. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you are working. I know, I know with, my role. Yeah. Huh? Working with the Badgers now, um, kind of doing some work with them. It's, we were reading up on you a little bit and saw that you've uh, been working a little bit with the Badgers. Yeah, I was before before COVID. What I decided to do was this. Uh, after I graduated and COVID hit and all that stuff, I was um, on my way to be the director of player development for the men's basketball team. But then when COVID hit, I put a pause on it and I said, you know what, let me take this time for myself. That school year, all that time. Um, I don't know if y'all know about the more Coach Moore, the family tragedy. That took a lot out of me. So I was like, you know what, let me take this time to settle down, get myself together. And so that's when I started doing, um, started writing my book mm-hmm. and I started um, investing, becoming a businessman. So um, I'm in, um, I'm with this, um, this drink company. I'm in, um, investing in this drink company called Hilux. Um, and so it's uh, so actually a vitamin water and, um, and we're doing that and we're uh, promoting that and getting that out here to the world right now. And so I just been doing stuff like that right now with my, with my, with this free time that I got. Mm-hmm. What's your book? It's about me, but it's but it's about me in a different way. It's it's about I read Michael Jordan's book, I read Magic Johnson's, I read Bowles' book, I read Barry's book. Um, it's about me, so it's my life story. But it's about what basketball really does to us, and the stuff that people people avoid. The um, trauma is trauma, no matter how big you look at it whether it's small or it's big. Trauma is trauma. And it all depends on how that person deals with it. But also, too, by being being an athlete, when stuff like that happened and then being from my community that, I'm, that I was raised in, you're, you're taught not to show signs of weakness. You're taught to be strong and, you know what I'm saying, and don't be a punk and all this stuff or whatever. And then the, the, the second, um, the second you sit up there and you, um, something happens in your life um, when, when somebody holds you accountable. You, you sit up there, you realize, you're like, man, I've been, I've been dealing with this and I didn't even know I was dealing with it. 
or something you had to deal with that you didn't know because you suppressed everything for so long. And so it's about that, um, about those, those, those mental blocks that you put up or those so-called quote unquote protections and all these type of things or whatever that we make for ourselves. And we call them, they're really much, pretty much crutches and excuses as you go through life. But it's about what basketball and football and I talked to, and I've talked to several other athletes and the stuff that they've been through. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you have to realize being an athlete and once, once you become the moneymaker of your family, you're looked at differently. And people expect, expect you to do certain things from your parents to your, your siblings to your close friends. And then if you don't do it, you're the bad guy. Mm. And they don't care how much money. You got people that count your money for you. You got people that's looking to take advantage of you. Um, and it's, it's about all that type of stuff that's in there. So as my life stories, what I've been through, the stuff that I've been through, um, you know, like I'm, I'm no, I know several people that have been abused as children. And then they took that. Basketball helped them cope with it. But when basketball was over with, it was like, now what do I do? And then all of a sudden, what was done to you, you it starts coming out as an adult as a married man or a woman, it starts coming out and you're like, where's this coming from? And then you realize I need help because I never dealt with that issue because basketball or football or baseball helped me to suppress that because basketball is our... It kind of takes like, our, the front most important part of your life. I mean, all of your energy has to go it's, through that. It's and, a, it's an outlet. It's yeah. an outlet. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's our basketball, the football field, the basketball court, that's our canvas and we are the brush. And we are painting our story. So you're not thinking about all the other stuff. But when it stops, when it's all over with, now you got to deal with that stuff. And then there's nobody to teach you how to deal with that. If you don't have the right people around you to teach you and tell you that you got a problem, because you got a lot of people, unfortunately, that like to keep their mouths closed. They don't want to hurt your feelings or, or set you off. But then you got the other people that will tell you the truth, and then you don't want to deal with it. So it's just like it's a it's a delicate balance and you have to figure figure out how to do it. But at the end of the day, it has to come from you. You have to see that something's wrong. You have to be man or woman enough to admit that I have a I have a problem that I need to deal with and address. And we don't want to deal with. So my book is talking about me from being a 13-year-old kid and my life is like when I tell people stuff like this, they don't believe it. I've never had a birthday party. Never had a birthday party. I was my, when I was 13, my, I went from being a 13-year-old nobody to being a 13-year-old number one eighth grade in the entire country. Wow. I'll throw you over to audience here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so this is like my, my whole life was revolved around basketball. Yeah. Nobody, nobody prepared. Kind of grow up pretty pretty early. I had to grow up pretty early. Even though my father, my mother, my father, my father was in our, in our life, but my mother and father got divorced early. So my father, but he wasn't, so he wasn't living in the house with us. So that means I'm the man in the house. Now I'm the protector. Now I'm this. Now I'm that. This is all at 13, 14 years old. And I had I didn't have anybody to show me the ropes. I didn't have anybody to tell me that people are gonna take advantage of you when you start making money. Or or you you can't how you can't trust people. And it's a whole bunch. So I'm talking about all these things in my book. Was this so it's, it's a huh? Was this a lot of kind of learning by failure? Like in, in yeah, I mean, I, I actually you heard me tell you so and even in high school i've always won in high school i only lost four games in high school mm -hmm. i came from a, a, a inner city school you can look it up in king high school south side of chicago 45th and Drexel. 
I came from a high school that was surrounded by four projects. Um, my freshman year, we were the number one team in the country. I'm the number one freshman in the country. Um, undefeated, city championship, state championship, and national championship. I lost two games my sophomore year, two games my junior year. My freshman and senior year, undefeated. Freshman year, number one in the country. Senior year, I finished number two in the country. Um, so that's four games. Strong, uh, so that's the most important uh, thing. You entered and exited strong. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I came here to Wisconsin. We haven't been to the tournament in 47 years. My freshman year, we broke that drop. So I want to ask that too. Why in Wisconsin before you, before you got here was kind of just a bad program, generally speaking. I mean, we, we hadn't made a tournament in 47 years. Why do you come to Wisconsin? Learn, learn, learn this. You had to go elsewhere. Oh, I could have went to Duke, right. Carolina, Purdue, um, um, Michigan. Um, I was going to go somewhere where I knew somebody. Here, I knew Michael Finley, Tracy Webster, and Howard Moore. So the thing about it is this. thing about it is this. You go somewhere where you're going to make the biggest impact, and you're going to be a difference. If I go to Michigan, I'm part of the Fab Five. Oh, yeah. I go to, I go to Purdue. I'm Glenn Robinson's sidekick. I go to Carolina. I'm whoever came before me. Um, Brad Doherty, the big guy. You know what I'm saying? I go to Duke. It's the same thing. But Wisconsin, hmm, to this day, I'm still the highest recruit they ever recruited. Mm-hmm. Nationally. I'm still, to this day, this back in 1993. So to this day, I'm still the highest recruit. Nobody can say they did what I did and helped them get to the tournament. Before my freshman year was over with, they had already made the plans for the Cole Center. They, they just knew. Yeah, yeah, they knew. What was, what was it like playing in the field house? That's, just a, that's, a, different, that's a different kind of better, better than playing in the Cole Center, I can tell you that much. And better? <laughs> was, it, was it louder? It was definitely loud because everybody's up on you. Yeah. The, yeah. Way, the, way, the, way, the way it's set up. If you go to a volleyball game, you'll see. Yeah. The energy. Higher energy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely different. They, they sit right up on you. You're more close to the fans. You can feel it. The cold center is so spread out, and our fans kind of have a tendency to sit on their hands at times so when we might need them to, yeah. to give us a, a boost or whatever. So, what are what are some of your mm-hmm. best memories um, playing at Fieldhouse? Or just like you know, what what are some of the best parts? Yeah, of it. What, what it's like one of those. What games really stick out to you? What were some of the moments? You know what? Um, all of them. It wasn't a, a particular game because for me. I remember, let me see, I'm trying to think of a game. Okay, one game was when we played Purdue. I think we were number 13, and they were like number three. Now, Glenn Robinson, I don't know if you know who that is, but uh, Glenn Robinson was one of my best friends. And um, we played all the time. We used to live together, actually, in Chicago, and we played summer ball together. Anyway, we played him, and we held him to his lowest point total of his career, which was 13 points, and we won the game. He was so mad at us, me and Mike, because we even Mike Glenn was from Gary, but he spent most of his time in Chicago. And me and Mike and Tracy and Howard are from Chicago, so we always spent a lot of time together. Me, Glenn Robinson, Jawan Howard, even Jalen Rose and Chris Weber, all these guys would always be in Chicago. So Glenn stopped talking to me for us for like a whole year. That's how that's how that's how competitive it was. Yeah. He would not speak to us. I'm like, what up, what up, big dog? What up, G? He wouldn't say nothing. He wouldn't even give us a head nod. He wouldn't say one word to us. Full silent. Huh? Full silent treatment. Oh yeah. Then we beat we beat Michigan 
when they were um when they were high, high ranked in the country at the time. Um, who else did we? Who I'm trying to think. Texas Tech, they were a good team. We beat them. So yeah, it was some. It was definitely some memories. Um, but I'm gonna say the best. It wasn't even the playoffs. The best games for me is when we made it to the tournament. Mm-hmm. We made when we made it to the tournament, and then I will never forget. We were in Utah, Oregon, Utah. We're getting ready to play the Cincinnati Bearcats. And the night before the game, I'm looking at the game, and Digger Phelps is on TV talking about how we didn't stand a chance against Cincinnati. And I was just like, I couldn't sleep that night. I'm like, everybody always wrote, wrote us off. So I couldn't sleep that night. And I went out there and I made sure we won. So, What are those tournament games like? That's got to be different. That's, that's it, different. it was crazy. It yeah. was crazy. It was crazy. It was um. It was real crazy, but it was great. It was great in terms of, for me, that's what I expected. So that's that, that's just me because I'm a person that believes in what you visualize and what you dream and what you want. You prepare yourself for it. Even like right now, I'm preparing myself for success for my book. I'm preparing myself for success with my sports strength and my other business ventures. And I see myself being that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I pictured myself leading the Big Ten in rebounds, blocks, being all these things. Being, I, I pictured all these things, and it happened. I literally had uh, my vision board without me even knowing it was a vision board. I wrote down what I wanted to do, and every morning I woke up, when I turned my head to the right and looked on the wall, it had my visions on there with the now I just put it on my phone. Mm-hmm. And so when you see it and you believe in it, you can achieve it. And so that was my whole thing with um, with that. And so, man, but um, it was about Tracy being a senior, those seniors who had never accomplished that feat, you know what I'm saying? To to give him that, even though it was short-lived, I wish we could have went farther, even though it was short-lived, but if, uh, he got a chance to go to the tournament, play two games in the tournament, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's something that you never forget. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine going onto the court with so many eyes on you and all of that pressure I, I generally get pretty nervous even before speaking in front of a class. Um, so what was that like for you? Did you ever kind of get nerves like that? Or have you always been pretty comfortable on the court, no matter how many people are watching you? Actually, you know what? I got, I got, it's the opposite for me. I got nervous when we were in class, when I had to go speak <laughs> in front of people like that. If it's something, if I can go in front of class and talk like we're talking right now, mm-hmm. talk about basketball, talk about me, our sports or whatever. But then when it's like talking about certain topics, I don't care how much I read it or whatever. It's just like you get that nerves. When I was out there playing, had no nerves, no nerves or um, or anything like that or whatever. It was actually it was actually cool. You know what I'm saying? I got a chance to go out there and, it's, and I actually played better on the road than I did at home. I played better in hostile environments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was about to say because of the way I grew up. You have to think when I, I grew up in the projects in Chicago. So hostility was all around me almost my whole life. So that was kind of, that's kind of like normal for me. You know what I'm saying? So I can thrive in those environments. So it made me like you yelling at me, you doing this, you telling me what I'm not going to do and what I'm not. I can show you better than I can tell you. <laughs> that is what, yeah, that's like a that. great skill to have. I like that. Uh, so kind of like fast forward to today, you're, you said you want to work with players on player development. Um, what is it about working with college athletes that you really enjoy? 
it's not just college athletes. I've worked with um, professional athletes, Enos Cantor, um, PJ Harrison. I've worked with several um, professional athletes on um, European and NBA. Mm -hmm. um, it's just about giving that advice, and I know it. And I know it comes from the fact that I didn't have anybody to give that to me, and that I think I've done pretty good from a, a, a kid from up the south side of Chicago that grew up in one of the toughest environments, with, uh, played uh, in a high school that was scrutinized and saying that it was illegal and my coach was recruiting and doing all these things. But nobody wants to shine a light on the stuff like what, what Coach Commander Cox did. He saved our lives. He kept us busy. He kept us off the streets. He didn't give us an opportunity to want to go out there and sell drugs or do something stupid with our lives and end our lives or, or have our lives taken from us. So what wound up happening was, um, what wound up happening was that happened or whatnot. He kept us busy. He gave us jobs where we worked in the school during the summer. We went to summer school. He was preparing us for college, but you would never hear those things about it because he won at a high level. He taught us about dressing for success and looking apart and making you feel good about yourself. We always were dressed in the newest Nike, whatever, and all these things. So I was surrounded by it. And it took me to become a grown man and live life and understand and see these things for what they were, to understand what they did and the roles of these um, Stu Jackson, Stan Van Gundy. That's why I still talk to them to this day. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it's because of the roles they played in my life. I realized Coach Cox used to always tell me, he was like, you're going to be the number one player in the country. We're going to be this. He was instilling in me that mindset that you are the best. And that's why I got there for him to tell y'all, like, if you got to think that way, you have to have that in your mind. Because if you don't believe in yourself, who else going to believe in you? You have the whole world telling you that one thing, and then once you start believing it, that doubt sets in, it creeps in, it's over with. Once you tell yourself, I never tell myself I can't do something. What I learned from going back to school was not being afraid to ask for help. Mm. That no, 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 no question is stupid. If you don't know something, you don't know something. We all learn in different ways. Some fast, some slow, some visual. Some have to go through it three, under the three, the three uh, repeated three time process. You know, everybody learns in different ways. But the question is, do you have to figure out and learn? who you are and how you learn your, 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 your abilities, your, dis your disabilities, you have to learn all these things. So I learned all that stuff when I came back to school. I learned so much more about myself mm -hmm. um, than I did. And I did better. I, I did better now as a grown man having to relearn all this stuff than I did when I was in school and, and my brain was functioning at a higher capacity. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 it's something, but that's the, that's what we live in. But, um, yeah, but this is like, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of give and take, but I just want to give back and those life lessons that I've learned that if some, if I can talk to, when I talk to the boys and let them know that it's not going to get, it's not going to be easy for you. Um, it's not meant to be easy for you. But uh, through the perseverance, the persistence, the hard work, the dedication, you can become very successful. Yeah. And um, just let them know that. So I'm, and I'm a living example. I mean, I want you see you seen me in class. So you seen me going to class. Mm -hmm. But what people don't what people don't know is that, well, you see me, it's hard for me to fit in them little ass desk. 
<laughs> they so, were small dashes yeah. in that class. Yeah, exactly. I'm seven feet, three hundred pounds. So, so I'm I ain't little by, by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, but you were always there. I can I can attest to that. So, and that's what I tried to do when I had classes with the boys. Any other boys, I tried to show them. Even when they weren't there, I wasn't there. And the first thing I do when I see them, where were you at? They <laughs> wonder why I would have the teachers laughing or whatever. I, I, I was true. And all I did is tell them the truth. I told my Italian food class, it was me, Kobe King, Walter McGrory, Owen. I think it was this us, right? But we in the same class. So this was fulfilling, this was fulfilling my language. So instead of me going to learn a language, I had to take three classes in the same language field. Um, man, <laughs> these boys were missing class. And I knew what they were doing. I didn't say nothing. I let them do whatever they were going to do. And then what wound up happening was, teacher said something in class one day. She was just like, look, some people have been doing other people's work. X, Y, and Z. You know who you are. Don't make me. If I have to call you out, I will fail you. So I, I looked at their body language. Cause I was sitting in the back of the class and I'm like, yep, it was them fools. Okay. <laughs> we walked out the classroom. I stopped. I was waiting for myself at the door. I'm like, we were on our way to practice. I'm like, hold up. Y'all need to go back in there and fix that. Like, what are you talking about? Go back in there and fix that. Griff, what you talking about? Don't play with me. Go back in there and fix that. So I made all three of them go in front of uh, uh, Professor Grazzi and talk to her and um, apologize, first apologize and then see what they can do to fix it. And then they seen me, and I was being truthful with her. I said, Professor, look, my memory is not what it used to be. Can I use my notes on our exam or whatever? And she was like, sure, Richard. So when they came into class and we were getting ready to take our, our exams, uh, and they was like, I had my notes and stuff right there. They was just like, after class, they was like, how did you do that? I said, I told you to build a relationship with them, right? You don't listen. Not my fault. Yeah, that's a good lesson. Wow. I told you. I told you to bear with. They know we're not like football players. They know your face. You don't have a helmet on your head. They know who you are. And I'm like, I'm like, so by them knowing who you are, um, she know who you are. She knew who I was when I walked in the class. I ain't ain't played ball here in 25 years. So, I mean, so, so come on, man. So, so no, they know who you are, bro. And I'm like, when you sit up there and you go through them, don't go through the motions. Be just be real with them. Be honest with them. They understand. That's all I did. I told her. I just told her the truth. My memory is not what it used to be. So can I use my notes? She was like, sure, Rashad. And they 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 flipped out at that. one. I'm like, I told you, I formed a relationship with her. Y'all seen why I had her laughing and talking about this and talking about that. And I would email her if I if I wasn't coming. It's little stuff. I wasn't coming to class. Professor Grazzi, good morning or good evening. I won't be in class today or whenever I have this coming up or whatnot, I just wanted to let you know. And she emailed me back, thank you for letting me know, Rashad, I would excuse your absence. And I did that with all my teachers, Professor McGuire or whoever it was, I would let them know well ahead of time, if I'm gonna be there, if I'm not gonna be there, but more than not, I was there. Mm-hmm. And it just shows that you care, which I think is the most important thing. Yeah. I would use that, uh, my memory isn't as good as it used to, but I don't think it'll work as well for me. Accident where I would lose my memory. Um, I like to ask you about your advisor, um, like Mary. Oh, that's my. I know. That's my. That's my that's yeah, my, yeah. That's my heart. Right share, share something about about her. Um, Mary. Mary's very special to me because you have to realize I've been Mary been knowing me since I was seventeen years old. 
Was she your advisor when you were? She wasn't my advisor then, but she was. But she was here. So yeah. She knew me. She seen me on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So she knew me as a seventeen-year-old kid and as a forty, whatever, when I was started year-old man. And um, she just holds a special place in my heart. Um, she's she. Oh, she was well. She retired now, but she was tremendous at her job. Um, and um, made life easy for you um, as best she could. And um, you know. We'll talk to the professors on your behalf and all of the, all of the good stuff. So there's you can never replace a Mary Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, um, tremendous advisor and even better person. That's important for a school advisor. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I think that the school has a lot of helpful advisors who are kind of willing to help. But um, who would you say was like your biggest mentor? I know you've probably had a lot or maybe a few who kind of made a really big impact on you. Hmm. I would say I was almost pretty, I was always pretty much the young one. Mm-hmm. Even though, even though I was probably one of the best players on all the teams that I played on, but I still was almost the majority, the young one. So um, it didn't happen until I, to, being the oldest elder statesman didn't happen to me till I, Got like 27, 28 when I was on um, 2001, 2002, whatever that was. <clears throat> when I was playing in Italy with Ginobili, then um, they were like 23, 24, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like 27, 28. But um, I'm, I mean, Howard Moore, Michael Finley, uh, Tracy Webster. Um, to this day, um, um, to this day, uh, Coach Van Gundy, Coach Stu Jackson, um, um, Dave Bullwinkle, um, Tim, man, what's what's his name? Make me forget his name. Um, um, forgetting our coach Tim. Um, he's coach at UNLV right now. Tim Buckley, can think of his last name. Tim Buckley. I mean, I literally, I've really talked to all these guys right now. I'm mm-hmm. still in communication with these guys. Still in communication with these guys. So you you just kind of mentioned right there that you were youngest for a lot of it, but um growing up, you kind of had to take that leadership role kind of early on, you know, like you said, being the man of the house, was that kind of like an interesting change than all of a sudden being the youngest, um, kind of maybe like a, a younger energy or were you guys all kind of peers? I'm an alpha male. (laughs) (laughs) doesn't matter if you're the youngest. All, all starting positions of mine, you have to earn the position, right? So we put my hand in to do one, two, three badges or whatever. And I told them, I said, hey, hey, I said, hey, hey, the five spot is mine. So good luck to the rest of y'all. And that was it. First play, first play of, of our first official practice, or my first official practice, I got an offensive rebound and I dunked the ball so hard a screw came out of the rim. And I said, let it begin. <laughs> yeah, you let everyone know yeah. immediately how it's going to go Shades down. Shades of Shaquille O'Neal there. <laughs> but, and that's how I've always, that's how I grew up. That's how you, where I grew up, if you can't be timid. You can't be timid. Um, if Everybody needs to know where you stand at. Because if you're a punk, you will get ran over. Mm-hmm. You will get, you can call it bullying, whatever you want to call it. So that was instilled in me from my, my upbringing and, and, you know, um, well, yeah, my upbringing and everything like that. So, yeah, but it was just like, no. When I come, when I, when I, that's why I love to play on the road instead of at home. Because I can go somewhere and I can make, I'm making your home my home. 
while I'm there. When I leave, you can have it back. I know players talk about the, the power and like twining the arena. And it's like disappointing, disappointing the home fans when you're on the road. So I kind oh, of, yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it comes with it. You got to think about it. You hear all these fans um, um, heckling you and throwing all these, saying all this crazy stuff to you or whatever. I'm like, okay, I got you. Okay. When I leave out of here with this W, I'm going to see what you say then. So, but nothing hurts more. Nothing hurts more than you sitting up there, you going on another team's floor, and they got the home court advantage, and then you take, you just snatch, snatch the win from them. So, yeah. Is that the kind of mentality you try to put on the, uh, the Badger team these days? It's a different generation. Mm. What's that? What do you mean by um, that? Um, see, for me, so for guys like myself, um, Michael Finley, Orlando Tucker, um, the guys that grew up in those those environments that um that you that that weren't going to produce <laughs> weren't going to produce anything good if we didn't have basketball. If it wasn't for basketball, my mother and father couldn't afford to send me to um to college. So that means that I would have been on the streets doing something that I didn't want to do. But my high school coach, Landon Cox, may he rest in peace. Um gave me, I'm thankful now for the opportunities that were given to me. Um, King High School, University of Wisconsin, they allowed me to go showcase to the world who I was. Um, think about it. Okay, cool. I helped them and they helped me. I helped them to generate revenue, right? Like what most sports do, right? We had national televised games, ESPN, CBS, and whatever other channels you want to be on. Um, <clears throat> they gave me the platform to go out there and show the world who I was, to go and express myself, to go and all the anger and the the hurt or whatever I had inside of me that I didn't know I, I had was out there on the floor. So for guys now, for for for, for this generation now, they have um they have something to fall back on. I didn't. It was either succeed or go back to the ghetto. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. So for me, for me and guys like me, <coughs> it was life or death. Pretty kind of sad. There's a different drive yeah. there. Yeah. Not, not even it's not even a drive. Literally, it was like that because okay, cool. If I don't succeed and go to the go to the next level and start making money, what are my options? Did you okay. what one thing you that didn't that didn't make it? <coughs> you said what happened? Did you see others around you that were in kind of similar positions that didn't make it onto yeah. that level? Yeah. Uh -huh. mm. I had a teammate. You can look this up. Thomas Hamilton. Tommy was taller than me, bigger than Shaq. It's in high school now. This is in high school. Tommy's 7'4". He was 330 pounds in high school. God. He's bigger. I'm a big guy. Tommy is bigger than me in high school. I'm seven feet. He's seven four. Shooting threes. <laughs> Shooting threes, handling the ball, got skills, all that stuff. Was supposed to go to University of Illinois. Didn't work out. Went to the University of Pittsburgh. Didn't work out. Had tryouts with the Bulls. No, was on the Bulls. Was on the Raptors and played with Boston. 
None of them worked out. Tommy became um, a drug dealer, game banger, and now he's a bouncer. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I can name other people. I can name hundreds of other people that that went to college. College wasn't for them. They did something that had a, gave them a, a serious setback, and they were right back in Chicago. You ever heard of Skip Dillard? No. Skip Dillard played for the University of DePaul back in the day. Uh, I'm going to say late 80s, right? Skip Dillard's All-American from the University of DePaul. They're the number one team in the country. Skip Dillard, they're in the final four. He misses uh, two free throws down one point. He misses two free throws to get him in to get, to get him the game. They were down one. He got two free throws with one second on the clock. He misses both free throws. 90% free throw shooter. Misses both free throws. That sent him on a spiral downwards. He's from the west side of Chicago. He robbed a um, a convenience store. Went to jail. When I was in high school, my coach took us to Danville Correctional Facility Um to go on Thanksgiving Day, because we were in the Thanksgiving tournament in Danville, to talk to Skip. And Skip told us, don't be like me. Skip was in jail. So put it like this. You know who Isaiah Thomas is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Isaiah Thomas, Mark Aguirre, all these guys, they were fans of Skip's. You know what I'm saying? That's how good he was. Um, and what wound up happening was um, Skip was in there. Jail cell was plush, TVs. Always had money. When he got out of jail, I literally was in a grocery store one day, and somebody was just like, uh, uh, one of the people that worked there told me, he's like, this is my lucky day. And I'm like, what do you mean? They were like, I had Skip Dillon Rashad Griffin in my store. And I'm like, Skip Dillon was here? They were like, Skip works here. He stocks our shelves. And I was just like, this dude's a legend. But when he told us, he was like, I let that get in my head. I let that get in my head and I told myself I was a failure and I ended, I ruined my whole, the rest of my life off of two missed free throws. Wow. So he didn't make it. He didn't make it. He went back to the hood where he was from because he was depressed. And what is depression? Depression is nothing but anger turned inward, right? Inward, right? That's all depression is. It's anger. You just mad at yourself. So. He ended his whole career and his whole life off of two missed free throws. You mentioned some other situations where, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Um, is there a common thread to any of that, or is, is it just really hard to, to pull it off? It's very difficult. It's yeah. difficult because it's hard to try to see how I can put it to you. Some people, like we can look at guys, right? Like, right? I'll give you an example. You've seen N1 before, right? All that stuff, right? All right. How many of those guys have you ever seen in the NBA? I only know of one, Rayford Austin. That's it. That's the only one I know, right? It's hard. You have to be able to convert. You got to think about the basketball IQ you need to have. You have to be able to play in a structured system, right? Mm-hmm. When you're in college and professional. When you're out there playing pickup ball, you freelance. You can do whatever you want to do, right? Or whatnot. That's an argument between you and the guys y'all playing against. But when you're in a structured system, you have rules. 
You have to be disciplined. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's what y'all learned when y'all came to college. People mm -hmm. ask me, what's the biggest difference from high school and college? I said, you just got more time on your hands. You got time to do what the hell you want to do. Think about it. When y'all first got to college as freshmen, you like, shoot, my mom and daddy ain't here. Um, <laughs> I mean, man, you like, I ain't got no class today. Oh, shit, I'm going out all night tomorrow. I'm going to get shit-faced. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then uh, you be like, oh, I got a paper due tomorrow. But now I got a hangover. <laughs> now I got this. Now I got that. And then you have to learn how to manage your time. That's being disciplined. Now you're, you're finding out very quickly what it means to be an adult. You have to manage your time. Uh, for student athletes, it's so much harder because you have to, your time is not your own. You go to class. You have weightlifting. Got to go back to class. Then you have practice. Then you get study table. Then you got to repeat this process day after day after day to game day come. Game day come, similar. You know what I'm saying? You got class. You still got to go to class or whatever. It, as the, the farther you advance in your in your college, collegiate career, of course, it becomes easier. But man, it's crazy. So it's like you have to learn how to manage. Basketball has taught me that right now. I go to bed early. I wake up early. Um, um, I do what I need to do. I still get. I still have that discipline of basketball instilled in me. And and you have to. You never know. Yep, this this is a future lesson for you too. You never know who's watching you. I'm serious. You never know who's watching you. It can be. I can tell you right now that I've been around billionaires, and you. We judge people off of how they look, how they dress, and how they carry themselves. Right. I've been around people that are literally billionaires and they were, you wouldn't even be able to tell that they're billionaires because of the way they dressed or the way they talk, this with this with the way that the conversation, you wouldn't be able to tell that they own fortune 500 companies or airlines and all uh, Kenny Dichter. I don't know if y'all know who that is. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a story about Kenny Dichter. Kenny Dichter was uh, as a Wisconsin graduate from the business school. He graduated with a C average. Kenny Dichter is a billionaire. He sold his first airline company to Warren Buffett for $2 billion. He signed a non-compete for two years. You know the airline company wheels up? No. It, that, fly, that flies all... Yeah. It, it flies all of the NCAA um, people, the NBA people. Oh, okay. It's called Wheels Up Airlines. Kenny Dichter started the Bleacher Creatures for football. You know, the bleach, you know the bleacher creatures, right? The bleacher Wait, creatures? Wait, the bleacher creatures? You know who, those, know who that is? I'm not sure. The, fan, uh, the fans said, look at the bleacher creatures for the University of Wisconsin football. Kenny Dichter started that. That was his first business. Mm -hmm. He went to Barry Alvarez as a, as a student and said, look, we need to get fans in there. Allow me to do the things I need to do so I can do this. And I'll create t-shirts. I'll create this. I'll create that. And I create revenue for, for the university. That was his first business. He told me personally, he was just like, I had a C average throughout my entire time in college. I some classes I barely passed. Mm -hmm. He said, so don't let nobody tell you what you can and cannot do. He was like, I'm a multi-billionaire three times over. Sold my first, sold my first um first company for two billion dollars. Um, and then I started another one. Russell Wilson and J.J. Watt are solid investors, which guess where they're from? University of Wisconsin. <laughs> so he was just like, 
So he said, never let nobody tell you what you can and what you cannot do. Never let anybody hold your education over your head. He was just like, people, I, he, said, I, he said, I got no problem telling people, yeah, no, I'm a businessman, but I, I, I hire those people who are smarter than me. Hmm. You never, if you, if you are the owner of a company, you should never be the smartest. That's why you pay those people who, who have been to school for eight to nine years and all that stuff or whatever. You pay them to be the smartest and to tell you what you should be doing. That's why you pay them. He's like, I, he said, there's no way in the world I'll be the smartest person ever. And I'm, and I'm the, I'm the billionaire. My name's, you know, on everything. He was just like, but I trust the people who I, who I have around me. But he was just like, never let nobody. And it started at an early age. He said, Go for it. You never, same thing I believe in. He said, you never tell yourself, I never use the word, I can't, I won't. I don't use those words. It's I can, I will, and I must. And I learned that from where I grew up from. Because if I use the word, I can't, when you put, when you put the word, I can't, in your head, when the first obstacle, the first sign of adversity pops up, the first thing you say is what? I knew it. I told you. Told you it was gonna happen. I knew it was gonna happen. And then, then you're done. This generation, hopefully not y'all, but our boys on the team, it's easy for them to quit because their parents have Fortune 500 companies. One of the parents is a billionaire. Um, they got stuff to fall back on. It's not like it was for me and an Orlando Tucker or Devin Harris or those guys. You know what I'm saying? And I'm talking about the guys of color because the guys of color, uh, we we the where we came from. Um, I know Orlando's story. I know Devin Harris' story from Milwaukee, and it's just a different it's a different mentality. I had a key to the field house. I literally would be in the gym at midnight. I got class at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm in the gym at midnight to about two o'clock in the morning, working, shooting. Nobody knew by myself. Didn't have nobody rebounding for me. Didn't do all that. I didn't party. I didn't drink. That's how serious I was. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have a first. My first alcoholic beverage came when I was literally a grown man. I was legally grown, and it was by accident. On top of that, <laughs> oh, do you remember what it was? <laughs> I was in Spain. I'm gonna tell you the story. This is funny. Um, I was in Spain. Um, I was playing for Maccabi Tel Aviv. It was '97, and we played. Um, a team called Estudiantes in Spain. And we went to um, TGI Fridays. So when it's, it's funny. You're out of the country. I can't tell you if I ever went to a TGI Fridays here in the United States. This is like certain restaurants you don't go to. Right. But you see them yeah, out of the country. Exist, yeah. But you never really go to them. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like McDonald's. I don't uh -huh. have McDonald's here. When I was over there, I'm like, damn, Mickey D looking real good right now. So what wound up happening was we went out to the game. We, we had to stay over the night because we were leaving the next morning. So we went to TGI Fridays, and um, my teammate Randy spoke fluent Spanish. So he told them, um, I'm like, man, I said, I'm thirsty. I don't know what. He was like, what you want to drink, big fella? I'm like, man, this Long Island iced tea look good. I'm not knowing that it's got alcohol in it, right? I wasn't even looking. I wouldn't. I didn't look at the bottom of it to see that rum and all this other stuff or whatever. So I'm like, okay. I got one. He told the waitress to make it real sweet. Muy dolce, right? Mm -hmm. I had seven of them. <laughs> that's, a pretty, that's a pretty solid yeah long island <laughs> ice tea can be dangerous but they they're deceiving in the name i, know. I don't even think there's tea in it 
It's like no, it, there's no there, there's no T. No, it's you got you got like what you got triple sec, you got tequila, you got rum, you got another dark liquor, and they put normally put like Pepsi or Coke in there for the sweetener. Yeah, to change the color. So you have no it, damn. It's somehow, no it, damn it's tea somehow I don't. I don't really get it. Yeah, but it, and somehow you can barely taste the alcohol uh, too. Yeah, no, they the have a lot of different kinds of it. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing about it. And you can taste the alcohol. It didn't bother me while I was sitting down, but when I stood up, <laughs> oh my! The room was like, bam! I was like, whoa! What the hell's going on? And then you realize, have I? Did you think you've been drugged or something? I, I would have been like, what is going on? <laughs> oh, they start laughing. They start. That's what gave it away. They start laughing. I'm like, what the hell y'all give me? I was gone. <laughs> I couldn't fight. I couldn't even fight back. I was done. I'm, I literally, I'm like, they had to carry me about it like this. <laughs> I, bet, I bet that was enough fun <laughs> to carry you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, they put me in a taxi, and I took my ass to the hotel and, and slept it off. We left the, left the next morning. I was no good. I was, man, I was no good for like three days. Oh, man. Um, That was my first experience with alcohol. What's up? Yeah. We got close to, uh, to our time, but um, you've touched on the book. You've touched on um, working with the Badgers, working with the players. Um, but where do you want to focus your time going forward? Kind of what's – what are um, just, just giving back. Um, I have. I, I will share this with y'all. Hold me. I want y'all to hold me to this. When y'all see the stuff that's going to come out, I want y'all to reach back out to me. My whole thing has been. This is about giving back. Mm-hmm. That's that's all. Um, um, helping helping those that are in need, but also uh, also helping those who have helped me along the way. Not forgetting those people who helped me to become who I am today. And first and foremost is uh, my Lord and Savior, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Father, my Father God, is doing his work that he has for um, for me to do. And that's giving back. Like during Thanksgiving, we gave away 250 turkeys uh, here in Madison. Um, during Thanksgiving, I mean, during Christmas, I'm sorry, gave away two, 100 hams and 100 turkeys in Chicago. I got, I'm in talks with Walmart, with um, doing some basketball camps, doing some virtual stuff with basketball camps for the youth here in Madison and as well as in Chicago, and then having them engaged during this time, and it'll lead up to a camp here in Madison in June, depending on, and if we got it twofold, it depends on how COVID is going to look. Are we still under heavy restrictions or are they going to loosen things up or whatever? We will see how that's going to go. But uh, doing stuff like that, giving back to the youth, Helping Walmart to understand, you can't just throw money at the problems in these um these um underprivileged communities and stuff like that. You have to take somebody that's from that community, from said community, bring them in, build them up, show the community what can be done if they give the time. And it's hard to tell somebody that out this out there making selling drugs or doing whatever they're doing, you're making five to five to six seven thousand dollars a day. Right. And then you want me to give all this up and go to making nothing and go to working for you with no guarantees. It's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. So without you sitting up there, I'm gonna tell you right now, I've heard it. I've heard it. I, I was in that place before. My people used to tell me all the time when I was coming up, hey, do this, do that, or whatever. I'm like, look, you're getting ready to go home to your nice house to your beautiful wife with your kids, right? And your nice car that's sitting right here. I'm about to walk down this street. 
I don't know if I'm even going to live from here till I get home. I don't even know if I got food in the house. The lights might not be on. The heat might not be on. So I, from literally from here to the next two blocks, I got so many things, that I, so many un, un, uncertainties, un, unknowns that I don't know what's about to go on. But you know what you're about to do. You better get in this time, bustle you turn, go get on that expressway, go way out to the suburbs, go to your house, get out of your car in your garage, go into your house, see your wife, see your kids, eat dinner, go to bed, wake up. You can have you got money to do whatever you want. I don't got that. I don't have that. And I used to tell them, so this is the attitude that they're coming at you with. So you want me to give this up when I know I got this money in my hand right here, physical green money that I can go feed my mother, feed my children, help people out with and do what I need to do with. And I know I can get this same kind of money, even though I'm making it wrong, the same kind of money tomorrow, the next day, and so forth and so on. So it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sit up there and walk, just walk away from that cold turkey. And then you got somebody like that. So it has to come from somebody that you already built up, that you took from the same position and built them up and they are now successful because of Walmart, because of Target, or whoever it is to deal with, right? <clears throat> every story is not a good one. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Every story is not a good one. See, everybody, it's easy to be on the outside of the, of the window looking in, but not knowing everything that's going on. See, people don't, people see the cars of athletes and then famous people. You see the cars, you see the houses, you, you know they got money, the stuff they put on TV. On TV. But the only time you ever hear something bad is when something really, really bad happens in their lives or they've done something really, really bad. Or you have to ask yourself, why did they go start drinking? Why did they turn to drugs? Normally when you do those types of things, it's because you're trying to forget something because something's been done to you. Some trauma has been done to you somewhere along the line and when you were grown and you try to hide it by drinking your problem away smoking your problem away or doing whatever kind of um, drug that you want to do to make yourself forget that problem, just, even just for a little while. Any, any reprieve is like, it's good. You know what I'm saying? Because you can't sleep. You can't do this. You can't do that. I sit, I sit, this is what I've been doing. I was watching Eddie Murphy, the Eddie Murphy story one day, and I was talking about that, how he got in trouble because he gave a prostitute a ride and gave her some money. He's like, you don't need to be doing this or whatever. Yeah, take this money. I'll take you and drop you off at home. Get pulled over by the police. Paparazzi's right there. They make the story from about whatever they want to make it out of. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. they you 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 they were following him, but you you want to strip this notorious for prostitutes, even though you just gave a ten thousand dollars and like come on, let me drop you off at home or wherever you stay. You don't have to do this. That ain't how they see it. That's not what's going to sell papers. Mm-hmm. So you have to stay secluded. You have to stay to yourself. You have to trust your partners. You have to trust your family. Because if your secrets get out, think about I me. Mean, look at it. I mean, you look at what Donald Trump's, uh, what Nice did about did to him writing the book. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's always it's always something that's going on. And you, like I said, you don't see the inside and what everybody goes through. And my father brought that to my attention a long time ago when I was in the hospital with pneumonia. I'll tell y'all this now. I'll let y'all go. So I was in the hospital with pneumonia for two weeks, and um, my father was like, I don't like the fact that. The phone, I was in Turkey. I don't like the fact that the phone hasn't rung. Nobody hasn't called you. I'm like, oh. 
He said, you know why nobody called you, Rashad? I knew, but I didn't say nothing. He said, because it's not payday. Mm. 15th of the month, that phone ringing off the hook from the 15th to the 30th. Hey, can you send me a few dollars? Hey, I need this. Hey, I need that. Or whatever. Dude, that's not right. You're in the hospital with pneumonia. You could you could have died. But nobody would know. Does anybody care? Nope. They only care about what you can do for them. People don't see those stories. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about from your family mm. to your closest friends. Everybody feels you deserve. I mean, they deserve something. No, that's not true. It's not true. You do because you want to do. And your mother, your father, I'm a parent. We have a legal obligation to take care of our children until 18 at least. You know what I'm saying? Um, after that, and my, I don't care if my son, my, one of my sons was better than LeBron James or whoever, Michael Jordan. It don't matter. I'm not asking. My, I'm not living my life through my children. I want them to live their own life. I want them to become who their God created them to become, not who I want them to be. Um, I live my life, so the mistakes that I made, don't want them to make. I want to be there for them to coach them through whatever life throws at them, not a, not a sport or anything like that, but life just in general. So, so yeah, so that's it. So yeah, so like I said, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, it's, it's been a journey, and the journey is still continuing. I'm blessed to um. I'm blessed to a, able to continue to be on this path. And like I said, when y'all see stuff or whatever, I mean, I'm so when I tell you, I got, I got my hand in all kind of pots all over the place. Yeah, I'm excited to see your book come out when it does and the drink that you've been investing into. The drink you can look up. The drink is already out. It's on Amazon right now. Yeah. It's called High Lux. H H Y L U X. So it's luxury. It's I'll luxury work. hydration. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, so we're doing that. We're working on. We got four four beverages out now. We're creating another four before July. Then after July, we we can create the water, and then another four different flavors after that. So we're um. So it's moving. Exciting stuff. It's moving. It's good stuff. Yeah. So it's moving. And then like I said, I'm working on the book. Um, finishing that up, and it's going to be two part. Um, I'm calling it ten million ten million reasons, and the reason is called that because. That's the money that was taken from me when I was playing, trusting the wrong people. Mm-hmm. So you see so many athletes that have been through this people that's taking money from you, taking advantage and of your kindness and your weakness of you not knowing and stuff like that. But like I say, everything, it's a lesson in everything. You just have to let be, you have to be willing to find out what that lesson is. Mm-hmm. That's all. And I, I was willing, I, that's what the book is about. I was willing to find out the lesson in why these things happened to me, why I went through each each situation that I went through, why was it me that, why did I have to go through that? It's a good note to end on. Yeah, I think that's a great note to end on. Right. Thank you so much for sharing your story and all of the great advice. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Really, really um, do appreciate it. You've got an interesting story. I'm excited for the book to come out. Yeah. yeah I mean, no I definitely problem, have some great advice to take from this. So I really appreciated the conversation and I'm sure our listeners will too. So Thank you so much. Um, And yeah, have a great rest of your night. Thank you. You too. Y'all have a blessed night as well. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for coming.